Let's pray over the Word of God, and we'll look at, at the Scriptures here this morning. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus again for this opportunity to gather together on a Sunday as the people of God, to worship and lift up your name. God, you are faithful, you are good, and we don't want to take advantage of that goodness. Lord, we honor you with our lives, with our praise, with our worship. And now, Lord, as we dive into your word, we ask in Jesus' name that you would help us comprehend what you are saying to us today. Lord, help us gather and, and gain a, a biblical worldview and, and a, a heart of faith and a, and a spirit of passion towards you and your word. And Lord, plant that seed in our hearts this morning that it might bring forth fruit to the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read the first three verses again for us this morning. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. We've been talking about the, uh, the celebration of sacrifice. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about how we as the people of God have been called to sacrifice. This is the Easter season, and so what we celebrate during this time, obviously, is the sacrifice of Jesus that he took upon himself, the punishment of our sin, uh, that we might uh, have life, and that he conquered death at the resurrection so that we might have eternal life. His birth, his life, his death, they were all sacrificial for the purpose of God in redeeming the world. Sin has cursed the world. I don't know if you know this or not, but the world's a mess. And the world, the chaos and the brokenness that we see in our world is a result of sin. Not necessarily individual people's sin, but simply because sin has cursed the world. But through Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we have been redeemed from the curse. And so we obviously have a reason to celebrate. Easter is one of the greatest seasons of the year. It's one of the greatest opportunities to worship and focus our attention on how good God is and how great Jesus is. So during this time, during this series that we've been talking about, the sacrificial life, we've looked at how we too have been called to live sacrificially. We know that the cross is the center of the message of the gospel, but we also have to recognize that the cross is the center of the call of every Christian. We have been called to deny ourselves. We've been called to follow him. We've been called to take up our cross daily. We've been called to go by the way of the cross. The call of Jesus is the call to death, but it is also the call to resurrection. We cannot experience resurrection if we don't experience death. And so the call to Christ is to die to self that we might be resurrected a brand new person in Jesus' name. That's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks, that Christ has called us to live sacrificially. In Romans chapter 12, which I said last week is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. It's very practical. Romans is a very doctrinal book. It's very theological. It's deep. It's got a lot of information in it. It's not always necessarily easy to get through. There's a lot of depth to it. And so if you spend, but if you spend time in the book of Romans, you know what Christians believe. And so chapter 12 starts becoming very, very practical. And, and Paul does this in most of his writings. If you read the book of Colossians, if you read the book of Ephesians, three chapters uh, or two chapters in Colossians is all doctrinal, four, two chapters is all practical. 
Three chapters in Ephesians is all doctrinal. Three chapters is practical. In other words, Paul takes what we have learned about what it means to be a Christian and then tells us how we're supposed to live like one. Right? How many of you know that they have to go hand in hand? If what you believe doesn't affect how you live, then you might not believe it. Okay? And so we've been called to live as a true believer. And we are called, it's all rooted in the reality of Romans chapter 12, that we've been called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. In the Old Testament, the people would bring their goats or their sheep or their turtle dove and offer it as a sacrifice for their sins and, 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 and so that they could be forgiven and they could be washed. And this was their act of obedience. This was their act of worship. But in the New Testament, the sacrifice is now us. We are the sacrifice that we bring to God. Our lives, our bodies, given daily for the purpose and the glory of God. So what does this sacrificial life look like? And that's what we've been talking about. How does it manifest itself? We know from this passage that it is defined, first of all, as worship. Our sacrificial life is our spiritual act of worship. And we saw last week that obedience, proving what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that obedience is a manifestation of the sacrificial life. That obedience in and of itself is worship. Obeying God's word, obeying God's commands, following after Christ is an act of worship. And we talked about how obedience is worked out by the walk of faith. Faith that pleases God. Faith that honors God. Faith that trusts God. Each simple act of obedience and faith on a daily basis is our worship to God. Lots of times we act like that faith is only meant for the big things. But it's the everyday, ordinary moments of life where we learn to trust God, where we learn to walk with Him, where we learn to believe that He's going to fulfill His Word, that He's going to work in us like He promised that He would. Each daily moment of faith that pushes fear to the side and moves forward in obedience and courage is worship to God. That, might, that should be a reason for some of you to celebrate because you can't sing. You can't sing, you clap off beat, you know, there's, so here's your act of worship, trusting God, living in obedience to the commands of God, living in obedience to follow after him. If you want to know some of the things we've been commanded to do, look at Romans chapter 12. There's a bunch of them in there. This is not a Sunday thing. This is meant to be a way of living, a way of thinking, a way of being. In other words, worship is not a service. Worship is not a moment in time. It's not a date on our calendar. Worship is a daily exercise of faith and obedience. It is a lifestyle. It is a way of thinking. And so this week, we want to look at the manifestation of transformation and holiness. Paul says that there are two components to the offering of our bodies as living sacrifice. Number one, be not conformed to this world. And number two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, I think I said, may have mentioned last week, but there's, there's always those people that we know, those of you who have kids, 
especially teenagers, um, you can normally tell who they've been hanging out with by the way they act, right? By the, the phrases that they use, the terminology that they use. Um, and sometimes it's even shocking to you to hear your kids sound like you. You ever had that happen? When your kids pick up a certain attitude that you have and then you find out that you're actually correcting yourself? You're like, you're going to have to check that attitude. And so am I. That's my attitude right there. Um, because obviously, I mean, it's just normal that who you hang off, hang out with rubs off on you. And we, I've been preaching this my entire life. You show me who you hang out with and I'll show you where you're going to end up. Right? You show me the people that you surround your life with and I'll show you where you're going to end up in life. Spiritually or emotionally or uh, economically, I'll show you we're going to show up by the way, by the people you decide to hang out with. And so, when we hang out with people, they, they, we rub off on one another, right? We start looking like the person that we act like, right? How many of you have ever had a friend, man, they were with you all the time, they hung out with you all the time, this happened a lot in high school, you know, you had a lot of, had friends, man, we are tight to the end, bro, and then all of a sudden they get a girlfriend and they disappear into the wilderness. <laughs> like, well, we were friends until you found her, um, because we connect with people and we start acting like they act, you know. Well, one of the greatest proofs of the power of Christianity is the testimony of a changed life. Now, I know it, this is not necessarily... this. Some people would say, well, this is emotional proof of the reality of Christianity. Obviously, we're not talking about necessarily some intellectual thing that we're, we're, we're using as proof that Christianity is true. But to me, one of the greatest evidences that there is at least something about this thing called Christianity is a life that has been radically changed. How many of you can testify that you used to be and now you are something else? Can you testify that you were once lost, but now you're found? You were blind, but now you see. That, that you're not the same person you met, used to be when you met Jesus Christ. When we look at the Bible, the, the woman at the, uh, the well had an encounter with Jesus, and she said, come and see a man that told me all the things that I ever did. And the Bible says that her testimony turned many people to Christ. The woman at the well is one of the very first evangelists ever mentioned in the Bible because she had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. The demoniac of the Gadarenes, he was, he was living in a tomb. He was living in a cave, possessed by what the demons called... But the demons looked at and said, what's your name? Our name is Legion. He was possessed by multitudes of, of demons, had been chained and strapped to a, to a cave. And when he was radically changed by an encounter with Jesus Christ, he went and told his life-changing testimony to Decapolis, which actually refers to ten different cities. He, he shared his testimony in a wide area, and the Bible says that many people did marvel because they knew what this guy was. They're the ones who had cast him out of society and said, you've got no place here. You're filled with demons. But he had an encounter with Jesus, and he was radically changed, and the people did marvel. The apostle Paul went from being an enemy of the church to the writer of half the New Testament because of a radical encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And his dramatic change literally rocked the entire Roman Empire. This one man's encounter with Jesus Christ 
literally turned the entire world at that time upside down. This is one of the greatest realities of the gospel message. Is that if you will believe on Jesus Christ, if you will surrender to the grace of God, your life can be radically changed by the power of God. Those of you who haven't seen The Chosen movie, I saw Sharon share that with me again on Facebook. It's one of my favorite lines. If you've not watched The Chosen series, I mean, there's an encounter where Nicodemus uh, meets uh, Mary Magdalene, which before that time she had been known as Lilith, but she had an encounter with Jesus. And obviously the Bible tells us that, that Mary Magdalene had demons cast out of her by the power of Jesus Christ. But she has an encounter with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus can tell something has happened to this woman. He even calls her Lilith. And she says, my name's not Lilith, my name's Mary. I've been known as Mary. He knew me as Mary. He called me Mary. And he was so amazed at the change that had taken place in her life. He was just trying to get an answer. What happened? Who is he? How did this happen? And she says, I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. The thing that happened in between was him. And that is the testimony of every true follower of Jesus Christ. That I was one way and now I am completely different. And what happened in between those two things was him. I had an encounter with the risen, living Jesus Christ. Jesus still changes lives, people. This is the testimony of the power of the gospel. This is the truth of the power of grace and faith. A true encounter with God turns us into different people. Followers of Jesus are not just those who have agreed to or accepted a set of beliefs or a doctrine. You don't come to church and sign a document at the bottom that says, yeah, I agree. It's like when you click off on your Apple contract just so you can move on to set up your iPhone. Click, I agree. Has anybody ever read it? Is there anybody here that's ever read it? Nobody reads it. It says just click that you agree. You don't know what you're even agreeing to. Will you sell your soul to Apple? Yeah, let's just set this baby up. <laughs> Got to get this phone moving. Right, nobody reads. We just click, I agree. And lots of times, even within Christianity, we feel like we're just clicking boxes. We're just checking off on boxes. Yep, I believe that one. And yep, I believe that one. And yep, I believe that one. But the fact of the matter is, followers of Christ are not just those who have agreed to doctrine. A true follower of Jesus was one way, and now they're a different way. They've been transformed. They've been made holy. They are different, and you should be able to tell it. You should be able to tell that we are different because we had an encounter with Jesus. And not only that, that we are different than those who have not had an encounter with Jesus. If you've ever played the game follow the leader, follow the leader requires that not only you follow where the person goes, but that you're supposed to do your best to mimic what the leader is doing, right? When we used to play follow the leader, you didn't just walk and say, follow me. You had to do all kinds of stupid things with your arms and kick your legs or whatever. You know, if you didn't follow or mimic the leader, then you lost. You were out of the game. This is literally what the call of the sacrificial life looks like, a game of follow the leader. We have been changed by grace through faith, and now we must live out that transformation through a life of holiness. This is the process of sanctification that all believers are called to experience, that we live out this transformation 
through a life of holiness. Have you ever seen your kid be transformed after they've had too much sugar? You ever seen them just transformed into another creature? We went out, Dad went out to dinner with us the other evening at, at, at uh, La Coretta. I don't know what Avery had done or got into, but he was out of control. They transform into a, different, into a different person. And if you have little kids, when they get around kids that are rowdy, they transfer them into rowdy kids, right? Now, I, I, I understand. Avery is normally the one who will eventually start directing the rowdiness. No, you're supposed to be over there. You're supposed to punch that person. We can tell, we can tell when someone's had an encounter. As we look at these two commands... Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We see the sacrificial call of sanctification. If we have truly experienced the life-changing power of Jesus, we should continue to live it out, growing in our faith and our knowledge of Jesus and his purpose for us. So what does it mean to be sanctified? Sanctification has as its basic meaning to be set apart by God and for his use. The purpose of God is what really defines who we are. Says we are set apart for God's use. He sets us apart from what we used to be from the world and places in us a purpose. We become vessels of honor, vessels that are used by God, instruments of righteousness by which God impacts the world. God has chosen to impact our world through people, through the lives of people. Sanctification has two realities. Number one, there is a positional sanctification. Positional sanctification takes place at salvation. The moment that we surrender our lives to Christ in faith, we're set apart by God. We are picked. We are chosen. We are, the Bible says we are translated from the kingdom of darkness, and we are translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. We have been positionally sanctified in Christ, and that's how God sees us now. He sees us as righteous, as holy, as blameless, as pure, because we are in Christ. We are positionally sanctified in Christ. And it means now that we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So the sanctification, the positional sanctification produces in us a desire to do good works. But there is also progressive sanctification. In other words, there's not a point at which we are completely devoid of any type of struggle against sin. Sanctification is the ongoing work of God's grace through the power of the Spirit to transform us into the image of His Son. Regeneration is salvation, but sanctification is growth. So regeneration takes place. We are regenerated, positioned, and placed in Christ at salvation. But growing in Christ is the process of sanctification. It's the ongoing work of God freeing us from sinful habits and forming in us Christ-like desires, dispositions, virtues, attitudes, so forth and so on. And what we need to remember as the people of God, and I know this is a little more doctrinal than, than what we might normally get into, but what we need to recognize as the people of God, that God's main purpose for our life is to shape us and mold us into the image of His Son. We are called Christians which means to be Christ-like. So in order to truly live out the life of a Christian, we are being shaped into the image of His Son. 
So lots of times what we think of is we think of all of what all the blessings that God's going to give us. God's going to answer my prayer. He's going to heal me or he's going to uh, supply something financially or he's going to fill me with joy or he's going to make me feel good today. God's going to make me feel good today. And we don't recognize that the true thing that brings us the most satisfaction is not even the answer to your prayer, but the transforming of our life into Christ-like living. That the more we become like Christ through the ongoing work of sanctification, the more fully we feel life and the more satisfied we become. See, if all we ever live for is the next feel-good moment, God, answer my prayer, God, make me feel good, God, do this for me, God, give me this job, God, fix my marriage, God, give me money to pay this bill. If we just keep moving from one high to another, we don't recognize that God is shaping us and molding us for a purpose. In regeneration, God implants desires that were not there before. This is one of the number one signs that you've actually been saved. Is that desires are planted in you that you didn't have before. Desires like a desire for God's presence, for holiness, for glorifying God's name in the world. A desire to pray, a desire to worship a desire to read the Word of God, a desire to love and bring benefit to other people. In sanctification, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So the Holy Spirit not only puts a desire in you, but then empowers you to do the good pleasure of God according to God's purpose, enabling His people to fulfill their new godly desires. Christians become increasingly Christ-like as our profile, as our character, as our lifestyle becomes more like Jesus or what the Bible literally refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. It is progressively formed in us the fruits of love and joy and peace and long-suffering is worked into us by the work of and power of the Holy Spirit. He does this by grace. He does this by His gifts and by His fruits. And God even uses the trials and tribulations of life to shape and mold us. If you've ever heard me preach, you've heard me tell you, folks, you've got to see in the trial, you've got to see in the fight that God still has a purpose, that God still has a design, that God is still forming and shaping us into a Christ-like person. Listen, I believe that God answers prayer. I believe in the blessings of God. I live in the blessings of God. His goodness chases me down. I can't even get away from it. But God's main purpose for me is to become more like Christ. More like Christ. Listen, if you're praying that God does something in your marriage, you know where you ought to start? Become more Christ-like. You know what's the best thing that can happen for your marriage? is for you to become more Christ-like. Now, some of you are like, it's not me, it's them. They need to become more Christ-like. And I'm not saying that that's not false. Your spouse might need to become a little more Christ-like. Your spouse might need to get saved. I don't know. Your spouse might be backslidden. Your spouse might need to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Right? I get that. I understand that. But where does it start? It starts with me. What's the best thing I can do for my kids to become more Christ-like? 
What's the best thing I can do for my job? Become more Christ-like. We think, well, if you become more Christ-like, then that means that your job is no longer that important because you need to go out and become a missionary. See, that's the lie of the enemy, to to act like that the job that you work is not as important as somebody that's in full-time ministry. We've all been called to do something where we are. And that means we are Christ-like where we're at. The work of sanctification is empowered by the Holy Spirit. As everything that God does, He does by grace. But that does not mean that we are passively involved in this process. In other words, we don't just sit around. We don't just sit around and God sanctifies us and God purifies us. We are called to live sacrificially. We're called to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We are supposed to struggle against sin, to continue to grow in faith. Paul writes here that we are called to obey the commands of transforming our minds and not conforming to the things of the world. These commands are what protects and prepares our hearts so that we can continue to be set apart for God's purpose. In order for God's design to be fulfilled in our lives, many times we have to put ourselves in the right position for Him to work in our life. Some of us are wondering why we don't have God's Spirit boiling up inside of us, and it's because we're not giving Him room. Right? We've clouded up everything. We've crowded up our hearts with so many other things that God doesn't have room. The Spirit doesn't have room to work in our lives. And so for sanctification to take place, we've got to live obediently. We've got to live sacrificially. So we look at these two commands. Be not conformed to this world. This is the command to live holy. Peter says, be holy for I am holy. The opposite of being sanctified is not sinlessness. The opposite of sanctified is being common or being like everything else. Right? If you just pick up this water bottle, it's just like every other water bottle. Right? There's nothing different about this water bottle. But if it gets sanctified for a particular use, then this bottle becomes special. It becomes different. Right? When this gets sanctified or set apart for a specific use, then we recognize that now it can't be used for anything else but that. Right? So when we are sanctified... We are no longer common. We are no longer like everyone else. We no longer conform to the things of the world. We're not floating along with the crowd. We cannot conform to the world and the world's thinking and continue to walk in holiness. Now the reality is we all know as believers that we still struggle against sin. Right? Right? There's nobody perfect in here this morning. There's nobody who's got it all together. There's nobody who's walking with the glory of God showing around them and people falling over because of the beauty of your holiness. We are still tempted. The pull of the flesh and the lure of the world still tears at our affections. But we must recognize that holiness is a product of sanctification. It is a product of the work of God. The ongoing work of God, the ongoing work of God's grace, the ongoing work of the Spirit in us. And as we allow grace to work in us the character of Christ, we reject the lies of sin and the world, and we joyfully surrender to the satisfying call of Christ's commands. 
So the commandments of God no longer again become grievous or burdensome, but they become the joy and the satisfaction of our life. That the commands of God literally become blessings because we've decided to obey them. To live holy requires that we have a biblical world view. We have to see the world through the lens of Scripture and through the will of God for us. The world has a sermon. Our culture has a sermon that is preaching to us. It has a message. It's being preached in the music. It's being preached in movies, in the books we read, in the TV shows that we watch. The secular worldview permeates our school systems, our boardrooms, Hollywood, and even Walt Disney. There used to be a time you could turn on a Walt Disney movie, walk away, and you're perfectly fine. Now everything needs to be screened because there's a message that's being preached. There's a point that's being tried to get across. There is a worldview that is trying to shape and mold our children. And I'm not trying to be some alarmist. I know there's people that have a lot of conspiracy theories. But make no mistake about it. Everybody knows that in order to affect the next generation, you have to affect the children. You have to affect the young people. You have to shape the way they see the world and how they think about the world. And so when the world pulls at our kids and even at our own minds, and we don't recognize the worldview that's being preached, or we don't see the danger of the worldview being preached, then we can't be shocked when our children walk away from God. The call to holiness many times is a call to be mocked and maligned and will cause, uh, will cause you to be call, declared outdated and narrow-minded and even at times bigoted. And I understand that having a Christian worldview at points is extremely narrow-minded. I get it. I understand. But Jesus said it was. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. So I get it. I understand that taking a stand for holiness, especially if you decide to get on social media, if you take a stand for a biblical worldview, you are going to be mocked and maligned. You're going to, be, you're going to have stones thrown at you simply because you have decided that you want to stand on what the Bible might say, what the truth of God says about sexuality or about marriage or about gender or about identity itself being found in Christ. The latest... The, the latest Barna poll that was taken on Christians, folks that claim to be followers of Christ, 4% have a biblical worldview. 4%. And lots of times it's because we are losing the reality of doctrine. We're, uh, you know, I, I talked about not checking off boxes of doctrine, but what you believe does matter. Doctrine does matter. As I said last week, Christianity can't just be whatever you want it to be. Well, that's not popular anymore, so let's redefine what Christianity says to make it popular. Jesus didn't call us to be popular. It's of utmost importance that we maintain a biblical worldview if we are going to live the life of holiness. And the Bible says that without holiness, no man shall see God. It doesn't matter how often you go to church or how much money you put in the tray. It doesn't even matter how much service you do. If you are not 
moving in the process of sanctification to live a life that is holy unto God. The Bible says no man shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Be not conformed to this world. This is the mark of the sacrificial life. We don't look like the world. We don't think like the world. We think like the people of God. We think like kingdom people. The second command is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the sacrificial call of following Jesus. Paul tells us how to gain a biblical worldview, how to maintain a life of holiness. And it's done by transforming ourselves by the renewing of our mind. Remember, sanctification is the process of God's work and God's grace in our lives. But we have to be obedient to have our minds renewed in order to be transformed. Why? Because how we think is going to affect who we become. You are who you think. Right? You are what your thoughts, what you dwell on, what you spend the most time thinking about. That's who you are. Right? We can come to church and use all the Christianese phrases, but what fills your mind is what's most important to you. It's who you are. We also have to recognize that every battle begins and is either won or lost in our minds. Every spiritual battle, emotional battle, every battle that we face as the people of God starts in our minds, and it's either won or lost in the way we think. At regeneration, every part of us is touched by the power of God. I believe that salvation changes everything. Salvation doesn't just change and renew our spirits. I do believe it changes our mind. All of us know that when we, got, when we were born again, we started thinking differently because the, the power of God changes us completely from the inside. But as our spirits are made new, our minds still have some old ways of thinking. And our mind has to be transformed because we've been thinking this way for our entire lives. How do we do this? This happens by filling our minds with the truth of God's Word. Truth makes us free. And if it frees our mind, the rest will follow. Y'all know the song. If it frees our mind, then everything else follows. We cannot have a biblical worldview. Now, this is, this is groundbreaking revelation. Everyone needs to put this in your phone. Write it down. Tweet it. Facebook it. Put it on a banner. We cannot have a biblical worldview if we don't know what the Bible says. It's kind of hard to have a worldview based on the Bible when we don't know what the Bible says. Now, we can base our biblical worldview on what we think somebody else has said the Bible says. But we have to know what God's Word says. We've got to fill our heads with the right kind of stuff. Garbage in, garbage out. Our minds can easily be distracted by the philosophies of the world if we do not fill it with God's viewpoint. Our minds can easily get confused if we don't feed it the truth of what God says. Folks, we are bombarded every day with how the world sees things and thinks about things. We are not short on opinion shows. We are not short on podcasts and YouTube channels and TikTok theologians and philosophers. You can find them everywhere. Everybody has an opinion Everybody has a 20-second video of how they've determined that Jesus didn't exist. Everybody has a philosophy. Everybody has an idea. 
Let me destroy this way of thinking with this 15-second YouTube video. Right? There's a lot of people out there that we are bombarded every day. And if we don't renew our minds with God's Word, we not only will not be transformed, but we will end up conforming to the world and not even realize it. We end up becoming what we said we never said we would become. We end up thinking in ways that we said we would never think. And isn't this what sin always does? Sin always fools us into thinking that we're in control. That it'll never go that far. How many drug addicts said that after one drug, one party, one event? It will never go farther than this. How many marriages have fallen apart because they've said it's just one time or just this one moment of flirting? It will never go farther than this. Your flesh is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. And this is what conforming to the world happens. It's the frog in the boiling water, right? You know, this, you know that metaphor. You throw a frog in boiling water, it jumps out. You put it in water and slowly heat it up, the frog dies. Because it gets used to its surroundings. Our convictions are weakened by this consistent attack against truth. And we must, the Bible says, gird up the loins of our mind to be vigilant to live holy. If we're going to live holy, we have to be vigilant to guard our minds, guard our hearts, and determine, I am not going to conform to the world. I am not going to conform to the flesh and to the lies of the enemy. I'm not going to conform to every ism that comes down the pike. I am to conform my life to the Word of God. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. That's why it's sacrificial. Sometimes it's not convenient. Sometimes it doesn't even sound right. But as we surrender our lives to the purpose of God, we find the greatest joy and greatest satisfaction. Listen, the call to follow Jesus is not a float trip. We're not floating down a stream just checking out the scenery. Right? It is a battle, but it is the way to joy. It is the way to peace. It is the way to satisfaction. We have been called to live sacrificially, to live obediently, which leads to transformation and holiness through the process of sanctification. We're called to be different. We are in the world, but not of it. The more we soak in worldly things, the more we strip ourselves of the power of God. The more we soak in worldly things, the more we strip ourselves of the joy that is found in knowing Him. So this morning, I'm asking you to take seriously the call to live sacrificially. Because God has rescued our lives. And so we live our lives to honor the one who has rescued us. We live our lives to honor the one who lived and died sacrificially so that we might have eternal life. So that we might have a relationship with God. And may that passionate love for God and for His for his work in Jesus Christ motivate us too to live sacrificially, to live the way of the cross, to lay our lives down, to take up our cross daily and live obediently to the call of Jesus Christ. Everybody bow your heads with me here this morning. How grateful we are, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, to worship and bless you.
Thank you, Father, that you have rescued us from sin. You have rescued us from the lies of the world, from the emptiness of our own fleshly pursuits. Lord, we are so grateful for the cross and for the resurrection. We're thankful, Lord, that our sins are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that we are no longer foreigners, but that we are children of God by the grace of God. And now we ask in Jesus' name that you would ignite a fire in our hearts to pursue you in sanctification that will transform us and produce in us a heart of holiness. Lord, we want to be different. We want to be a voice of truth in our culture. We want to be people of love and people of the gospel. We want to be people who live obedient to you. We want to be people who go against the grain of our culture to live holy and righteous lives committed to you. We want our identity to be shaped by your purpose for us and by the call that you've placed upon us. God, grant us true repentance here this morning. Grant us true repentance that our hearts might turn to you. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name for working in us. Thank you for your grace that strips us of guilt and condemnation, calls us into the freedom of conviction. Lord, speak to every heart here today. May no one be able to hide from your grace. May no one be able to shut out the voice of your spirit. May we hear you today in Jesus' name. As we focus our attention on the Lord for just a few more moments, we always close our service with a worship song. This is not just the end of the service. This is a time of commitment, a time of dedication. This is a time now to take what we have heard this morning, place it before the Lord and say, God, I... I want to obey your word today. I want to become what I have heard today. Until it's more than words on paper, until it's more than memorized, until it's who I am and how I live my life. Lord, let your word capture our hearts this morning. Let your conviction not allow us to hide. May your conviction today not allow us to justify who we are and where we are. May your goodness, may your kindness draw us to repentance. Life-changing, life-transforming repentance.